Welcome back to The Life Inspired. Let's jump straight into some of this week's best headlines in The News Inspired. First of all, this week we have a new British Open champion. Colin Morikawa has won the 149th British Open. Congratulations, Colin. Second, this one I found really interesting. A dentist has developed a new dissolving cracker for people who struggle with swallowing and so they can't enjoy traditional foods. And this new cracker is called Savories. So we'll be excited to see how this technology works for other foods. Finally, Olivia Rodrigo has visited the White House this week, where she attended a press conference and met with officials, including a meeting with Vice President Kamala Harris, which resulted in my favorite tweet of 2021. If you haven't seen it, make sure you go check it out um, on the Vice President's page. This has been The News Inspired, and I hope that these are just the first of many headlines uh, this week that bring you joy. Now, everyone, I'm really excited for us to jump back into our very first ever true crime podcast. This week, we are finishing our conversation that we started last week with Officer Logan, where we discussed the prom night murders from the 1980s and dived just barely, barely scratching the surface into what this uh, tragic situation was, how the investigation went down, and starting to raise some of the questions that people have even today about how the investigation was handled and the accusations and eventual conviction that happened. So I'm thrilled that we get to jump back into this. Um, Before we do that, I have a very exciting announcement. Drumroll, please. I'm so excited to introduce you to our newest podcast, Crime Pros. Crime Pros will be launching three weeks from today on August 9th and is the sister podcast to The Life Inspired. Uh, Next week, we'll have our last episode of season one of Life Inspired. We'll take a one-week break, and we'll be back the following week with our first episode of Crime Pros, a true crime podcast where we explore many of the solved and unsolved cases of the world with professionals who can give us insights into the cases that the normal person maybe could not. Now, for this week's lightning round, I thought we might do some fast facts about Crime Pros. Fast fact number one, Crime Pros is a true crime podcast. So if you are a true crime person uh, or someone who is interested in the world of criminal activity, Crime Pros is for you because every week we'll be exploring different cases from across the globe and looking into Uh, what exactly happened and also how professionals handled investigation and prosecution of individuals involved with the cases. Fast fact number two, Crime Pros is a show for more than just entertainment. I said this last week, but true crime is really about making a difference in the world. So our show is about two things. First, solving cold cases. You'll hear a lot of cases on Crime Pros that maybe don't have an easy solution yet or we're still not sure uh, how the story ends. And the whole reason that we tell some of the stories we tell is to make sure that people know about them so that if anyone has information that can help investigators who are trying to solve cases, that we are able to get the word out and hopefully someone will be able to help close uh, a an open case. 
the second reason that we do a true crime podcast is to bring justice or awareness for those who may not have received it yet. So this couldn't be everything from helping someone who's wrongly accused uh, to tell their side of the story to bringing awareness over issues that maybe cause high levels of crime um, in this country and beyond. Just making sure that people know other people's stories and are aware of what's happening in our world. So we do this for more than just entertainment, even though for those of you like me who listen to a lot of true crime, you know that these really do feed your mind and keep you hanging onto the edge of your seat the whole time too. Finally, our third fast fact, Crime Pros is a production of Amped Media, the same people that bring you the life inspired, and I will also be hosting Crime Pros, so excited to have you along for that journey. So this was our lightning round, and now we are heading back into our conversation with Officer Logan. When we left off last week, we were exploring the prom night murders. And to summarize what ended up last week being the summary of an even bigger case, um, where we left off was that the Pelly family, uh, Bob Pelly, a pastor, his wife, two of her three daughters had all been found murdered uh, the night after the local prom. The key suspect right now is Bob Pelly's uh, oldest son, Jeff. And we were just discussing kind of the timeline of what had happened the night before. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, which is called True Crime, make sure you check that out before jumping into the rest of this episode, because you might be a little bit lost if you don't have all the details. But if you have already listened to our last episode, then welcome back to The Prom Night Murders. A lot of the other teenagers who are there on the scene that day for the church service were just with Jeff the night before at prom and were even in the house the night before because Bob was also an amateur photographer. He had a really nice camera. So he had offered to all of the members of the church that if anyone wanted, you know, prom photos taken ahead of time, they could come over and and he would take photos of any of the teens and their dates. So there were actually a lot of Uh, Jeff's friends, a lot of church people who were there. So they're getting statements. They're looking for more evidence. They realize that the clothes that are in the wash are Jeff's. And some of the the individuals who are now witnesses who had been at the, the crime scene the day before, who had been there having their photos taken by Bob, indicated that they were the clothes that Jeff probably was wearing while everyone was at the house the night before. And this was, I mean, it ha- it went on for several hours on Saturday afternoon and evening, but the last group of people left around 5 p.m. Um, so all afternoon people are coming in and out of the house. It's pretty heavy traffic. So a lot of people are able to identify what Jeff was wearing. And they realized that the clothes that are in the wash they think were what Jeff was wearing that day. Uh, They also were able to identify the popcorn that was found in the kitchen as Bob's evening popcorn. He had a big thing. Everyone knew that he made popcorn after dinner every single night and he would actually save a tiny, tiny amount of, of the popcorn he made for the next night so that he could eat it while he was making that night's popcorn. (laughs) Um, So they, this is just like a commonly known fact. Anyone who had been at the Pelly house for dinner knew that after dinner, Bob made popcorn. So now 
there is indication that Bob was alive for dinner and after. Also at the crime scene, they're analyzing some of the blood splatter. And what they realize is that based on the way that Bob's body is found and the way that the blood has splattered, he was shot from his or Jeff's bedroom area. So the way that the parsonage is set up, if you can just imagine it, there's the front door and then this is again where I wish some of the reporting was more clear. I don't know if it's just like over time things have gotten confused or because so many people are reporting on it. There's just some differences in the details that are reported. So some reports say that the hallway to the bedrooms was on the right side of the entrance and others say that it was on the left side of the entrance. And I've tried to look at photos of the crime scene and even watch some of the videos, but you know, sometimes like cameras flip things and you just can't really tell. So for the purpose purposes of this, based on what I was looking at earlier today, we're going to say that the hallway is on the right side. Um, either way, there's a hallway right off the front door. So imagine it right on the right hand side as soon as you walk in. And there's bedrooms lining this hall. And at the very end of the hall, there's two bedrooms facing each other. One would be Bob and Don's and the other one would be Jeff's. And based on how the blood is splattered and how Bob's body fell, they're assuming that someone was between those two bedrooms when they shot Bob. Now, what's interesting about this is that, you know, before one of their suspicions had been maybe this was a kidnapping. So the intruder theory is already in everyone's head, but it would be difficult for an intruder to get that far into the house and then surprise Bob by shooting him. So now they're thinking that whoever was in the house was likely welcomed there and probably took the gun that would have been hanging in that bedroom on the wall and used that to shoot Bob and then likely also the girls downstairs. Um, so they've started to put together a little bit of a theory. They think that Bob was shot first, that possibly Don was already downstairs or was somewhere uh, maybe in the kitchen and heard the shots and went downstairs to try and protect her girls and that then they were followed down the stairs by whoever shot Bob and then that's where they were murdered after. Um, this also lines up with the fact that both of the girls were found in Dawn's arms. It's likely that she was trying to protect them uh, while they were fleeing. So they're starting to analyze all of this back at the crime scene. Meanwhile, back in, uh, near Great America, near Chicago, Jeff is telling the investigators that his dad actually forgave him for uh, breaking and entering and vandalism and uh, the crime that he committed with the CDs and that also the family friend that he had stolen the CDs from had forgiven him. And so Bob had decided to allow him to go to uh, the prom. Now, they aren't able to actually corroborate this story with any of the other witnesses who were at the Pelly's house the day before. All of Jeff's friends say that up until Jeff showed up with his car, they all thought that his parents were going to be driving him to the prom. But his sister Jackie said that that was actually in his dad's nature, that he was very stern and very strict, but that in the end, he wanted the best for his kids and he wanted them to be able to enjoy life. And that oftentimes punishments would be taken back before they could ever even actually happen. So Jackie says this is in line with her dad's character. There is 
no other witness to Bob forgiving Jeff, but at least that's the story that he's telling for now. And he says that's why he was not at the house. That's why his parents never dropped him off at prom. He was allowed to drive his own car. He was allowed to go to Great America the next morning, and that's why he was away. So while these investigators are interviewing Jeff, again, going back to Indiana, they're able to start to piece together a timeline of what happened the night before based on witness testimony. Around five o'clock the evening before, so on the 29th of April, the last of the church members that were at the house for photos that day left. So, so we know that the Pellies were alive up until 5 p.m. Now, a few minutes later, one of Jeff's friends who had been at the Pelly household earlier drove past the house again. He had come earlier for photos, realized he left something, I think it was his corsage, back at the house, had to go home. And then on his way to his date's house, he passed the Pelly house, right? So he's not exactly sure what time this is, but he knew it was between five o'clock and 5.30. And he says that Jeff's car was still in the driveway. Then at 5.30, some other church members show up at the Pelly house to have Bob take their photos. And when they get there, all the doors are locked, the curtains are closed, and Jeff's car is not there. So five o'clock, we know that all of the Pellys are alive. Jeff is at home. Then we know a few minutes later, sometime between five and 5.30, Jeff's car is in the driveway. We know by 5.30, Jeff is gone, his car is gone, and the house is completely locked down. So we're assuming that by 5.30, the Pellies are dead, or at the very least, the murderer is inside and Jeff is gone. Um, there's also some sources that suggest that around 5.20, Jeff may have had an encounter with a gas station attendant who remembered that he needed to fix something on his car, so he had pulled into a local gas station down the street from his parents' house. So it's possible then that if the family was murdered while Jeff was home, it would have had to have happened between even 5 and 5.20 p.m., but at the very latest, 5.30. So at this point, police are thinking that Jeff has to be their number one suspect, and they are saying that this 30-minute time frame is enough for Jeff to murder his family because he's mad about uh, not being allowed to drive himself to the prom or go to the after-prom activities. So he murders his family, cleans his entire self, gets in his car, drives down the street to the gas station attendant, and then doesn't actually fix his car. Because remember, Bob had taken a piece off so that Jeff couldn't drive his car. And we do know that Jeff didn't have that piece back on his car earlier in the day because Jeff was picked up at work by Bob earlier that Saturday around noon from local McDonald's. So what we're thinking is, or at least what the officers are thinking, is that when he went to the gas station, he was putting the piece back on his car. Oh, that's a little bit murky, but the big picture is he had 20 minutes to murder four people, clean himself up, and leave. Your thoughts, is yeah. that doable? No. And one thing, uh, one thing that stands out to me, I don't know if your research has uncovered it from what I looked at it last night, uh, in reference to the 20-minute time frame, most people that own a gun keep a lot of ammunition in the house, right? At mm -hmm. least at least several boxes, considerable amount. Right. 
he would have had to have not only picked up all the shells that he fired and hit them with a gun, but he would have had to remove all unspent shotgun shells in the house that would have come from the same ammunition manufacturer that they could compare the wadding to. So when you shoot a shotgun shell, uh, a plastic wadding comes out, and that's what helps the the, the balls or the slug come out of the the shotgun yeah and you could compare that to a box or multiple boxes of ammunition because most people buy the same brand and you could say that that was consistent with what was found in the house nothing i could found said that they were able to make any of those um comparisons right okay not only that but if you were to murder people in close proximity with a shotgun you would receive blood splatter and possibly bone fragments um bouncing off the walls back at you yeah if he washed his clothes how did he not leave any bloody fingerprints anywhere on the washing machine or around the house yes okay so i'm glad that you bring that up because as much as the police want to say this is our time frame this is what happened this is what jeff did the prosecutors the local da is saying all the things that you're saying he's saying there's no way that in 20 minutes this 17-year-old child had the opportunity to murder four people, including his grown father, um, and then hide the murder weapon, get uh, clean himself up. Because remember, he went to prom after this. And when he showed up, his date and his friends and his friend's parents all noted that he wasn't dressed in his tux yet. So the clothes that they're thinking that they found in the wash that he may have already been wearing or something. People are saying he had not changed into his tux by the time that he got to uh, his date's house. Um, so no, just no way. The clothes, uh, the murder weapon is still missing, but exactly as you said, they're not finding any of the casings. Also, Jackie and Jeff both told police that Bob got rid of all the guns in his house a week earlier because he was worried that uh, as he was punishing Jeff with this prom punishment, that Jeff may try to commit suicide again. So Jackie and Jeff both testified that he had gotten rid of guns. Jessica, who was nine around this time, says that that's not true. But a lot of people since then have speculated that her parents probably didn't talk to her about what they were doing with weapons in the house because she was nine years old. Um, right. So they're also saying they're, that gun was probably never even in the house so where would jeff have gotten a gun also jackie is agreeing with jeff and saying that she can't imagine bob not allowing his son to go to the after prom activities so there's no motive for jeff to do this either if we're to believe jackie and what she says about bob's compassion so ultimately as much as the police want to name jeff their number one suspect the prosecutors refuse to take anything to court. And that's kind of where everything goes cold. Just a couple of weeks after right. after this incident, you know, the Pellies have their a family funeral at the church where Bob was the pastor next door to the home they were murdered in. The church ends up renovating the parsonage. They get a new pastor, new people living in the house. 
All of the remaining Pele kids are split up between different family members and all grow up to live relatively normal lives. Jeff even moves to Florida, um, where we know he wanted to live all along, and he gets married and has a child and uh, down the road even gets convicted of fraud at one point, um, which is <laughs> another story for another day. But so all of all of the murder, the investigation, this is all 1989. Fast forward to 2002, right? A newly elected prosecutor decides that he wants to look back into the Pelly case and he thinks that he has enough to arrest and prosecute Jeff Pelly for the murder of his family. There is a little bit of new evidence during this time, including a witness testimony from Jessica, who now goes by Jesse. Um, and she says that when she was 15, she went to stay with Jeff and his wife for a little bit. And that during that time, Jeff asked her, uh, who do you think actually killed our parents? And that she said that she thought it was Bob who had murdered uh, her mother and her two sisters and then committed suicide. And Jeff just let it go. and. I'm a little bit confused about this because um, the police informed Jesse later down the line that that's not possible. You know, like Bob could not have killed himself with the shotgun, the blood splatter. That actually just brought up a good or an idea to me. Um, it wouldn't be uncommon back in the day for families, uh, especially religious ones in a small town, to be afraid of uh, public image. Uh, mm. what if one of those churchgoers that went in there to look at the scene didn't want him to be remembered that way and took the gun out? Oh. I hadn't thought about that. That would, uh, that would not be impossible. That wouldn't be the weirdest thing. Uh, I work in a high crime area, and a lot of times uh, if we don't get there fast enough and there's a large crowd, the, the crowd will get rid of the murder weapon or uh, oh. they'll get rid of the victim's weapon. So it'll look like cold-blooded homicide where the other guy actually may have been firing back. That is interesting. Okay, so I wasn't planning to go into this in this episode, but you bring up good points. So actually, we today do know where the gun is and where it was during the murders, and it was not in the house. Um, oh. Again, another story for another day, but there are witnesses that have since uh, confirmed that Bob did remove it from the home. If you, if anyone out there wants to learn more about what happened after all of this, you can check out Counterclock on Spotify. It's by Audio Chuck. It's a really good. They just did their, I think, third season, and it was all about this case. Um, but. We do know that the gun wasn't there, but that is an interesting point to bring up, and I hadn't actually thought it through. Um, but Jesse had always believed that that was what had happened, and the police later informed her that it wasn't, and then I guess allowed her to testify that about this encounter with her brother as some sort of evidence that he had committed a murder because he asked her who she thought had killed her family, and what. The prosecutors it's not even saying, circumstantial. I know. I don't. What I read that the prosecutors were arguing was that Jeff would have 100% known that Bob didn't kill himself because he would have been privy to more information about the case, I guess, and that he didn't defend his father. So they were saying that this was some kind of 
I don't know. It, it seemed really weak to me. I don't know. Yeah, um, that's not the... Uh, none of this... The, the court of all of this has just got me really confused as to how this is still going. I Prosecutors are elected, so a lot of times they'll do things that they think will try to get them reelected. But I just... A lot of this just doesn't add up. It doesn't. And as much as this new testimony from Jesse uh, supports uh, somehow the case against her brother, there's also new problems with the case. And again, another story for another day. But they're finding evidence that possibly the clothes that were found in the washing machine were placed there because they were able to find the receipt for the purchase of the jeans. Uh, Also, the clothes themselves were placed in a grocery bag when they were collected as evidence and stored in a grocery bag for decades. Can't do that either. No. I don't know if if you were aware of this or not, but when you uh, recover any sort of evidence that's wet, uh, you have to dry it and then it has to be placed in a paper bag. Otherwise, the DNA or anything in it will break down and it'll become uh, like mildew or moldy. Okay, that is actually interesting to me because, I mean, I don't know that much about the 80s, I guess, but I guess a grocery bag could be a paper bag. So maybe that's reasonable, but I would think they would need a more professional bag than something you got at the. Like, it was literally a bag that they found in the house. With yeah, like a no, grocery no, store logo. Yeah, we use. So I had a I handled shooting a couple weeks ago, and uh, the process for us is to we have a drying locker that's uh, secured with a padlock. You put your mm. evidence. Uh, in this case, it was bloody clothes that were cut off in there, and they dry. I let them dry for about three weeks, um, mm. and then I use a sterile. I guess it wouldn't be completely sterile, but. Uh, packaged paper bag that could have no other DNA inside of it and then you place your items in there and you seal it with evidence tape you staple it and then uh, you, you again lock it behind another locker so I, I cannot imagine taking a bag out of someone's house on a homicide and putting evidence in it Listen, if we had the time to go over all of the problems in this case, this is just scratching the surface, right? I listened to a 20 episode podcast season about this one case and it gets me going. But long story short, in 2006, after a very controversial trial with his two sisters divided on the belief of whether he was innocent or guilty, Jeff is convicted of four counts of murder and sentenced to over 160 years in Indiana prison. What are your thoughts? I don't think that the evidence supports that conviction. I wasn't there. I can't. uh, It sounds like the police officers did their job to try and show evidence if it was there. And it sounds like the prosecutor did their job in saying the original prosecutor did their job in saying that uh, I, I acknowledge your evidence, but I don't think that that supports, you know, murder one or whatever they charged him with. It sounds to me like it was a, a political move many years later that uh, that made this occur. And I don't agree with anything political in the criminal justice system because it sometimes pushes facts and common sense to the side to push an agenda, if that makes sense. It's interesting that you say that this seems like a political move because... As of the recording of this podcast, 
Jeff is still in the process of appealing his uh, conviction. He is represented right now by a center for wrongful conviction and his attorneys argue that this entire uh, prosecution, all of this trial, the efforts against him, that it's all political maneuvering to get a prosecutor reelected. And if we, like I said, if we had the time to go into this story, there is so much more that needs to be said and done. There is a past of Bob Pelly that no one in the town even knew about until very recently. There's a family divided over this case. There's evidence pointing to actual living suspects in other states who knew the Pelly family, but none of it is ever considered. And like I said, today, Jeff is still appealing his case. Now, I am not a legal expert. And I also want to acknowledge that I think every detective, prosecutor, I know everyone does their best job. Everyone can be wrong at some point. We're human, we make mistakes. Sometimes the evidence points us in one direction and later we learn something else. But the entire point of true crime is to tell people what's happening, enlighten people to the facts, and hope that as we continue to learn more and more, the truth comes to light and justice is actually served. So no matter what our opinions are on the Jeff Pelly case, if you want to learn more, you can go to justiceforjeff.com where Jeff's family and attorneys have set up their beliefs about what's happening. You can also search the Prom Night Murders or the Pelly Family Murders on any search engine and you'll get unbiased factual reports from a number of news outlets and media. I still don't know 100% what I believe, but I think that the case against Jeff Pelly was rushed and circumstantial and needs to be revisited. So circumstantial at best. At I best. can tell you that in today's world, if I submitted this case as a, I'm not a lead homicide investigator, but if a lead <laughs> homicide investigator was to submit this case, they would be laughed out of court. This is our story for the day. I hate to leave everyone hanging. If you want to learn more about Just Pass, make sure that you give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we know that this is a story that you're interested in digging deeper into. So Officer Logan, as we come off of your, I think you told me earlier, you don't listen to true crime podcasts. So as we come off of your first true crime story, what are you thinking? Where's your head at? I see the fun behind this. It's kind of cool to to dive into a case that you're not actually investigating and uh, see what you can find on it. Um, I can definitely see the, uh, the, where people like doing this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the most fun episodes to listen to are the ones that do have some kind of ruling. Um, The ones that are just open and, and like cold cases, those drive me crazy. But I think that's the point, right? Like we want to find the truth and there's so many tv shows that are like cold case files and things like that that have yeah. 20 30 years after a crime is committed they help to find the perpetrator so it's definitely um an interesting little genre it's cool do you have anything that you want to share with the people before we sign off for the day um other than uh when you're looking into this stuff it's it's always the facts that matter and a lot of people get caught up between the facts and 
how other people may feel about something. And when you're looking at anything from a law enforcement lens, it's just really important to me hearsay, any drama or any personal feelings and, and just look at those, those cold hard facts. And that's, that'll usually lead you in the right direction. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Officer Logan, for your analysis of today's case and helping us to get through this story and make sense of it all. Thank you also to everyone who listened to our episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can check out the rest of the Life Inspired Season 1 right now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook at the Life Inspired Pod. And I hope that somehow, some way, today's conversation brought you a little bit of joy and that it helps you to live <laughs> the life inspired. Thanks. Thanks.